If you uh, brought your Bibles with you this morning, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. We bring this great letter to a conclusion today. Uh, When we started this, the very first sermon, uh, I mentioned that when I I was coming to Christ the King 12 years ago, this was actually the letter that I wanted to start preaching on. This was the very first one I wanted to preach. But Tommy had been preaching on it, and so very patiently, I, I waited for 12 years. So I'm thankful to have preached it now. Uh, and, and I hope that as I, I know I've been encouraged as I've been in it, I hope that it has been not, not only encouraging but challenging for you as well to have been in this space, and we conclude it today with our reflections on uh, this last part of chapter 5 once again. Uh, next week we will begin a new sermon series, and if you haven't been with us uh, the past couple of summers, I'm going to continue the, the pattern that I've done now uh, for, uh, for the last three summers, and I'll explain that more next week. What, but we begin a series that will take us end of June, July, uh, and through August as well on a biblical theology of the body, of flesh and bones, this, this body that God has given to us. So anticipate that. I'm looking forward to that. But we have today part two of uh, a sermon that I began last week on this very same section of Scripture. So if you're here today and you didn't catch last week's sermon, it is online. Um, Pick it up and uh, make sense of both of these sermons together today. This is Peter's conclusion, Peter's coda to the letter where he brings together a lot of the thoughts that we have seen throughout. The passage is in your bulletin, page 1017 of the uh, Blue Bibles. Now, I described this chapter, this passage last week as Peter giving his readers and us as well one final charge that encompasses or tries to lay hold of everything that he has said and encouraged us with and exhorted us with so far. But in addition to that final push, that final charge that he gives to us, He also does two other things, and this is what we looked at last week. We saw that he explains to us why this battle that we're engaged in is so hard, okay? He he gives us the why of it. He says that, listen, in this world, here's the reality. In this world, there are enemies who are set against us. And to use the language of Scripture without for a moment trying to explain all of them, the enemies that are set against us, as we have seen throughout this letter, are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the devil was brought up in particular in this section. This is the first time in the letter where we have the devil, Satan, particularly listed as an enemy of the people of God. Uh, and the result of that is, or, or with, with the fact that we live in a world where we have these enemies, we have this, and, and this is where he starts, we have this exilic status in this world. We are, in fact, exiles in this world. The battle is hard because we experience the fact that we don't seem to quite fit in this world. And partly as a result of that, partly because of the enemies that are about, we experience then, and this is just tracing what Peter has said, various kinds of trials, various kinds of fiery trials that we endure in this world. And so those enemies, that exilic status, that, uh, those sufferings and trials that we undergo, those things can increase all of the anxieties that we have in this world. And that's why Peter says this battle is hard. You've got to hear a charge in light of a battle that is actually a difficult one. 
But that isn't the only word, because the word that Peter also gave is while the enemies are strong against us, the one who is for us is greater still. And so he pointed out so beautifully and eloquently, as we saw in these words last week, and I will read again for us, the majestic resources that are ours for the battle, the the mightiness of God, the mighty hand of God, the fact that God cares for us, the grace of God that we have received, the promises of God that he lists, the the promises of God to call us into glory, to bring us into glory with Christ, the promises to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us, the promises that God will not leave us in an estate of humiliation, but will raise us up, will exalt us into a state of exaltation. And he tells us of the dominion of Christ. No matter who is arrayed against you, it is the dominion of Christ now that is forever and ever. And then not only did he tell us who God is, but who we are in Christ. In Christ, we are the ones who have been called by God. We are the ones who have been chosen or elect, whichever you'd prefer, chosen or elect by God. And we are a people. We are a people who are all around the world, not just in in the top part of the northern part of Turkey that he's writing to, not just the church in Rome or in Jerusalem, but a people who are all around the world who are participating together in the life of Christ and in all of its sufferings and agonies unto conformity in him. All right, today then, when we come to this same text, What I want to look at is the commands in particular, the charge in particular now that he has for us in light of that, the exhortation. Before I read it, remember, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, the Word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would watch over us today, watch over our hearts, watch over our minds. Don't let them wander far away from your word right now, Lord, but let us be quiet and be subject before you. 
and before your word. You are our king. To you belongs all the dominion and all the authority. Speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. With the Egyptian army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side, Moses said this to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Moses, as the time of his death was approaching, addressed both Israel and Joshua, who was to succeed him, saying this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. David, as his death was approaching, turned to his son Solomon and said this, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In the passage that we read earlier, Jehoshaphat desired to do that which was good, to bring reform to the kingdom. Seems like a good thing. Jehoshaphat brings his reforms to the kingdom, and immediately the enemies arise and are pursuing him and pursuing his kingdom. He set his face to seek the Lord because he was afraid. And the Levite prophetically speaks these words. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde. Great word to describe the enemies. This great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Here's the instruction. Stand firm. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The call to stand and the call to stand firm has a long, rich, glorious history for the people of God. And when Peter addresses them and us in this last chapter, he is grafting us into that lineage of the faithful, the lineage of the faithful who have heard these words from their Lord, addressing them with the particular situations that were in front of them and giving them all that same command. Stand firm. Stand firm. And it is repeated. I I put two of them on the front of your bulletin. It's in so many places in the New Testament that you can't put them all here, but I put two on the front. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Or Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Their charge becomes our charge. The circumstances are a little bit different. 
The time is a little bit different, certainly a vast difference between the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the New Covenant, the New Testament. But the mission is the same. Their mission is our mission. And here's the way Peter says it to us. This is the true grace of God. Here's my charge. Stand firm in it. That's what I want from you. That's what I need you to do. Stand firm in the true grace of God. It is a call to strength, to fortitude, to resolve, to courage. You notice that in many of the passages that I cited as I began this. There's the corresponding commands, if you want to say, put in the negative. Do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Instead, the call here is to courage, to integrity, to steadfastness. Don't shrink back. Instead, stand firm. But I said this last week, and this is where I'm going to go with us this week as well. Here's the reality, and this is the reality whether we were to look at Scripture or whether we were to take time to reflect on our application of this throughout our lives. Standing firm is not as easy as it sounds. It's an easy thing to say. It's an easy thing to want to encourage people to do, to stand firm, but it is not as easy as it sounds. The good thing is that Peter, our author, our writer, the apostle who is instructing us, Peter knows this all too well, and he knows it deeply, and he knows it personally. Peter pledged his own personal steadfastness. We've referenced this a couple of times. This, obviously, last sermon in the book will be the last time that I reference it, at least in context of First Peter. Peter turns to Jesus after Jesus has just said, all of you will fall away. Right? Jesus says that. You standers of firm places, all of you will fall away. They're going to strike me and all of you will fall away. Remember Peter's comment? Oh, Lord, even if they all fall, I will never fall. Ooh, that's a tough thing. How many hours later does the, the rooster crow? Uh, it's it's, not, very, it's not, very, not very many hours before the rooster crows and the fall takes place. But even before what we think of as the fall from that particular statement, right? And we know what that is because Jesus anticipates it, and the scriptures tell us that Peter will deny his Lord three times before the cock crows in the morning. But even before that, he had fallen. They had all fallen even before that. Jesus takes them out to the garden, right, where he's going to pray. He's going to pour out his soul to his Father at this moment. Some of the disciples are in this place. Some, like Peter, are a little bit closer, and they've got a command. Keep watch. Watch. That's the, by the way, exact same command that is contained in our passage this morning. It's in verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Peter's here giving you the exact same command that he received from his Lord. Be watchful. Keep on alert. And, of course, we know what happened to Peter. 
We know that when Jesus returned to them, he found them to be asleep. And he wants to say to them again, keep watch and pray. And at that moment, Peter heard the words that pierce the heart of everybody who wants to stand firm. Spoken by Jesus, here are the words that we need to hear loud and clear into our text today and into this charge today. Jesus said this, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And don't just hear that as like a body-soul distinction here. It's just a way of saying, yeah, yeah, the, the willing to do it. Well, that's, that's there. My abilities, oh, that's another story completely. These are haunting words by Jesus. A daunting reality is set before us, but it is a reality that we have to carry with us, that Peter would have to carry with him for the rest of his life, and that we have to carry into this passage when we receive these commands. When we hear these commands, we've got to carry into our response to these commands those words of Jesus. When we hear, be watchful, when we hear, stand firm, those words of Jesus have to be there as well. Now, I think there is something in all of us, especially if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. There is something in all of us that when we hear something like, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. When we hear something like that, we go, yes. Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. Or it can be said in different ways and is said in different ways throughout Scripture. So when the the people of God hear the Word of God, the people of God say, yes, amen to those words. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. There's something in our hearts that wants to respond exactly like that. I'll be faithful. I will be true to the things that you have spoken. And here, uh, in case you haven't made this connection, I'm referencing two places in particular in Scripture in addition to the ones I've noted already. The one is the giving of the, the book of the covenant in Exodus chapter 24, where the people of God then say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And the other is Joshua's renewal of the covenant at the end of the book of Joshua. When the people say, yes, Joshua, we're with you, man. We will serve the Lord as well, with you, like you. We'll stand firm in this faith with you. Well, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long to see the veracity of what Jesus says. But, but here's the reality. That impulse, there's nothing wrong with the impulse that says, I want to follow after the Lord. I want to be the person who stands firm. We want to be the family who stands firm. We want to be the church who stands firm in this place. That's a good impulse. That's given to us from God. It's indicative of the work of God, I think, in our lives, and we can be thankful for it. It is good, but there is a difference between the impulse and the execution between the desire to do good and the actual doing of said do, and there is a huge chasm between the start of 
a new resolve, and standing firm. Year after year, decade after decade, trial after trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. We must hear the commands of God. We have to hear the charge and the commands that are given to us here and hear the words of Jesus at the same time. I don't want to resolve either of those for you. I don't want to take either of those things away. You have to hear both of those things in all of their fullness. Lest we overestimate ourselves, lest we fall on our faces and hear the cock crow before we walk out the door here in just a few moments, lest we misunderstand, frankly, what the command actually is, lest we fail to count the cost of saying, yeah, I'm going to stand firm in the Lord, and lest being dismayed by our own weakness, we give up hope. Because here's the reality. If you hear the word of God right now, and I preached this sermon, and I just said to you, stand firm, and I didn't tell you or remind you of the words of Jesus Christ that says the, the, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak, you can have hope. Yeah, I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of woman who can go out and stand firm. And I won't capitulate to these enemies and to the temptations that are out there. Well, how long will that last you? You already know the answer to it. How long will that last you? Peter wants more than anything else in this letter for the people to hold on to hope. He has told them, you have been born again into a living hope. And if you want to hold on to hope, you've got to hear these commands and hear what Jesus has to say about us so that we can then hear these commands in their proper format. Last week, I gave an analogy about this chapter. Uh, I did so with great trepidation. I think I tipped it off that I was afraid of the analogy even as I gave it last week. But I described what Peter's doing in, this, last, in this, this passage as kind of like the way a coach might speak to a team before a game seven, a final game, and the kind of things that a coach would say in that setting. They might say, as we saw last week, they might say, hey, this is a, a really strong team that we're facing. You can't take this lightly. You've got to take it seriously. You're going to have to work hard in order to do this. And then the coach might go through, but what are the resources that are available to us? We're a good team. We've got a good strategy. Uh, you guys are great players. You work well together, etc., etc. And then the coach is going to say, now here's what we're going to do. This is the, the final push. I, I was cautious. I was concerned about giving that analogy because inevitably, and generally speaking, when you're talking about sports, you're going to appeal or tap into the strength or the inner strength of the athlete. Or at best, you're going to tap into the strength of us together as a team. Maybe that works in sports. Maybe. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this about how much it works in sports. At best, it works 50% of the time. Right? 50% is the best that you'll get on that working because somebody loses at the end of this contest. But it's not 50%. It's only 50% in, only, in any one game. 
Because an entire season or an entire league has not gotten to this point. So whatever that percentages are, it's way down, it's way low. But maybe, maybe it helps and maybe it works in that particular moment. But Peter knows what we all know by experience, that it doesn't work, it can't work, it will never work when it comes to standing firm in the faith. And so this is what Peter proclaims. Listen to the entirety of it clearly. Peter says, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the grace of God. Peter doesn't want us to stand in our own strength. The man knows that is a losing proposition. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I used to vacation a lot of times at the ocean, and I used to love the body surf. But another thing that I would love to do as a kid, I wouldn't do it anymore, but as a kid, is I would love on a day when the, the surf was up pretty good to just stand there and to have a wave come right at me and break right on me and to know I've got no chance. I've got no chance. I like to try it. I like to feel it. But I had no chance to stand against this. And, and the same is true here. Peter says, you have no chance. If you're rooting standing here in yourself, you have no chance at this at all. Instead, what Peter says to us is stand in the grace of God. Stand in the person of Jesus Christ. Stand in the perfection of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Stand in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Stand in the way that Jesus himself entrusted his soul to his faithful father. Stand in his favor. Stand in the inheritance that Jesus has secured for you. Stand in his love. Stand, not in your strength, in his dominion. Stand in the promise of his word. Stand in the clothing of Jesus Christ. Stand in his resurrection. Stand, Christ before you, Christ behind you, Christ underneath of you, Christ above you, Christ on your right, Christ on your left. Make the stand in Christ. In Christ, stand in the humiliation of Christ, in the humility of Christ. When Jesus Christ came and took his stand in this world, he did so in humility. One can imagine an image that we might conjure up in our mind. We just hear the words standing firm. It could be characterized by a little bit of haughtiness, a little bit of chest puffed out, kind of a, a statement, I, I dare you to try and move me. Go ahead. I'm standing firm. But that picture is erased when we see that our passage opens with the words, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Okay. The obvious idea here is to do what Jesus did, right? Philippians 2.8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on, a Christ, uh, on the cross. Now, the, the point here in humbling ourselves isn't that we should, I don't know, debase ourselves in some odd or peculiar way. 
Instead, what Peter is saying here is the, the humility that we are to have is a humility that is born out of the knowledge of our own weakness. Peter has the knowledge. He has it experimentally in his own life. It's a humility born out of our understanding that we live in a world opposed to us, that that wave is cresting like that. It's a humility born out of union with Christ and imitation of Jesus Christ. Ours, then, is a humble, firm stance, or a humble resistance is what we're called to. And, and I don't want to try to resolve the tension there for us. There's a tension there, right? Because you're kind of looking at two things at the same time. We don't naturally put together courage and humility, or, or standing firm and humility. What's even the posture of that? What's the facial expression of standing firm with humility? But leave the tension be there. In humility, we do not assume that we can fix the world, and for that matter, that we can fix ourselves. And so in humility, what we're called to do in this text as part of the final charge that is given to us is take all of those anxieties and cast them on the Lord. You're bearing them? You think you're good enough? You think you're strong enough to bear the anxieties that come upon you in this world? No chance. Take the anxieties and lay them on the burden, the beast of burden. Take them off and put them on him. Now, the centrality of that process, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares about you, is one that I try to put before us almost every single week. You hear me, whether or not you realize it, having that verse in my mind every single Sunday, right before the prelude. I'll say it in different ways just so I don't end up saying the same thing uh, over and over again. But I'll say to you, listen, like I said today, you got something on your mind, something on your heart, something bothering you, this is the time. Take it, cast it, because he cares about you. It, that's humility. That's humility saying, I, I can't bear this in myself. Lord, you bear it, and so we stand humbly. We stand firm, humbly. All right, in the very beginning of this letter, and we're going to land this plane here with the, these reflections here at this last section. In the very beginning of this letter, we read these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is what must be guarded by a firm stance in the grace of Christ Jesus. That's what you are protecting because that's what the devil is after. Satan is after that. Hey, your enemy is after that. If you want to know why have you got to stand firm, your enemy is after that. Satan, the devil, wants to destroy and to devour your love and your reception of the love of Jesus Christ. Satan will do anything he possibly can to take away your joy. 
He will stir up your flesh. He will use persecution. He will use suffering. He will use those feelings of being in exile, those feelings of marginalization, those feelings like you don't fit in with anybody in this world. And he will take them and multiply anxieties with them. And he'll just multiply them. And he'll do it to take away your joy. And I'm just following the verse that I said here. You love him, Satan wants that love. You have this joy, Satan wants that joy. He will try to lure you into disobedience. He will pollinate the world around you with lies and with distortions, and he will pollinate your surroundings with people who want you to come along with them, who want you to join with them. But in all of this opposition, there is perhaps one great jewel that the devil is after. Do you know what the jewel is that the devil is after in your life? He wants your faith. He wants your faith. The devil wants to destroy your soul by destroying your faith. Satan that wants that which Peter has said in the very beginning of this letter is more precious than gold. Your faith is more precious than gold. Because it's by faith that we are, in fact, in Christ. It's by faith through which we have access in grace and stand in this grace. So, young families of Christ the King who are trying to raise your kids well in this world, the devil wants your faith. Singles in this church, the devil wants your faith. Old men and women in this church, the devil wants to destroy your faith. College students who are back, high schoolers, he wants to destroy your faith. And all of you who are here, who are children of believers, the devil wants your faith. The devil wants your faith to grab hold of it, to lay hold of it, to devour it. He'll use some of those other means to get in there to get after your love, to get after uh, your, your sinful life, to get after your joy. But the prize that he's after is your faith. Because it's in faith that you're laying hold of Christ. He can't take care of Christ. He can't take care of grace. And so he's looking for the connection. He's looking at the connection and trying to break the connection. And the connection is faith. Don't let him have it. Resist him. Firm in your faith. That's the command. What he wants is your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. That's the final charge. Keep the faith. Firm in your faith, whatever the circumstances, that is always, always the battle. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. 
And with that belief, with that faith, you will receive the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, Satan doesn't want you to have the salvation. He's going after the faith to cut out the legs of the salvation. Listen, if you're here today and you're not sure whether or not yet you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, let today be the day when you come and you come and you join with us. We're not here as a church because we have the ability to stand firm in and of ourselves that we can stand up for what's right. We're here to stand in Jesus Christ. And so we invite you, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, to come with us and, and believe. Though you do not see him now, believe in him with us, in the one in whom we stand. This is the victory that overcomes the world, said the Apostle John. Your faith. It's the victory that overcomes when you can say, Credo, I believe. When we say, Credo together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. When we say, Kratom, we believe. That is the victory. All of those battles that we looked at are opportunities when the Lord says, stand firm to say, listen, salvation is of the Lord. You need to watch and you need to wait and you need to see. I'm about to do something here. Wait for it. Stand firm and see the salvation that is given to us by the Lord. That is when we are called to stand firm, to stand with the saints of old, to stand with those who are around you. Can we say it this way? To hold the line together. That's what God has put us together in one place for, to hold the line together. Our ability to hold the line is not just an individual ability to hold the line, but humanly speaking, holding the line involves the church. In various places, linked together, holding the line to stand firm in the faith against the onslaught of the evil one. Stand firm in Christ. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Lord, we pray that you would help us. We know our weakness. You know our weakness better than we know our weakness. And so we pray that our strength would be in you and you alone. No strength of our own, no goodness we claim. But only since we've learned of the Savior's great name do we find a place to stand. Thank you for bringing us into your presence, for calling us to yourself. Preserve us. Preserve us faithful. And help us in you to be the people of courage, the people of resistance, the people who are watchful, and alert, and humble. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
There were about five hymns that would have worked for the closing hymn today. I chose uh, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Uh, It's actually 571. Uh, Sorry, a little typo there. 571. Stand with me and let's sing together.